Hey everyone, you know what time it is. It is Tuesday night at 7 p.m. and it is time for Real Talk Live with Bishop Bright. I am your host and I'm excited that you are joining us today. Listen, we have an incredible show. We have a uh, a wonderful guest who I cannot wait to get started uh, with this topic tonight. So let's start off by praying. God, we bless you and we thank you for all of your love and your kindness toward us. We realize in ourselves we don't deserve it, but by your spirit, you have uh, blessed us to breathe this air again today. And so for that, we say thank you. We pray God for meaningful and productive conversation. And we pray that through it all, that your love will be shown broadly across the screen. In Jesus name, we pray, amen. So of all of the topics that get Christians and I'll even say it like this, church folks in a complete and total uproar it's this conversation or this topic of the evil sin of homosexuality. But by the same token, if I'm honest and if we are honest together, it's those same things that folks we don't like that for years we have celebrated the gifts of, we have invited to be worship leaders to hype up our services. We have employed their services in uh, our churches and in our ministries. And so I just want to talk about today real honestly about the topic, I'm gay, but I love God. Why does it feel like the church hates me? And my special guest tonight, um, bringing him in is Bishop Alex Bird. Hello, Bishop Bird. How are you? Bishop Bright, I'm doing so well. This is a wonderful day. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So in, in my um, monologue, if you will, um, <laughs> I, I talked about this idea that of all of the subjects that uh, we can talk about, the topic of homosexuality, lesbianism, LGBTQ, those topics are the ones that seem to get everybody's um, underwear in a bundle. But by the same token, Bishop, um, so many of the folks who are involved in that community are the ones that are playing and directing and and over music ministries and worship pastors and all of that kind of stuff. So it seems such a double standard to me in general at how we can vilify on the right hand and celebrate on the left hand as if they're not part of the same hand, you know, same body. So I, I thank you for uh, coming on, Bishop. Um, is the founding and co-pastor of Life Faith Covenant Church uh, in Dallas. Um, and so um, I want to just kind of 
throw it to you. I want you, if you would kind of tell your story, but more than that, Bishop, what I'd like is to understand your theology and how you arrived, because I know that you were married to a woman and you, you know, were uh, in a very holiness of hell type of Christian environment. And certainly all of that is, has to be somewhere, uh, was somewhere in the back of your head going, what in the world is going on here? So I just want to kick it off to you and kind of let you get us going. Absolutely, man. You, you hit a, that's a mouthful to even just think about. I mean, yeah. So I'm, first of all, I'm just, first of all, I really want to thank you for having this conversation. Hey, Derek. <laughs> I really want to thank you for having this conversation because this conversation, unfortunately, is not being had with, um, any kind of seriousness, if you will. Um, across the nation, um, many people have have decided what they will believe. They've decided what they will accept. They've decided what is truth and what is not truth, and nobody's really listening to anybody. And um, that's the one thing that I mourn the most about this particular subject is that we don't have real dialogue in the church about this subject because sure. we just think that it's 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 a it's a cut and dry subject right sure how many other cut and dry subjects though have we had conversations about but i digress uh, just to tell you a little bit about my story a little bit about my story so um i've uh, i've known that i have uh, that i've been i'm gay um since uh, I guess about junior high school, really, right? So I didn't I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't know anything about sexuality, sex and sexuality because another thing that I lament is the fact that we don't talk about sex in church, right? That right. this is such a, the 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 extent of the conversation is don't do it, <laughs> right? <laughs> if, you mar- if you're married, it's okay, but if you're not married, don't do it, right? And that's the extent of that conversation. But then so many of us as young men and young women, true, have grown up not having any kind of mentorship around this, not having any kind of real conversations, not even knowing what's really going on with our bodies, right? Because we these subjects are never brought, right? Sure. And so I've, I've, I've known that because of... Um, an incident that happened, right? I've never been particularly molested or any kind of thing, but I I willingly walked into a situation um, that uh, was exploration, all right? Okay. And, and I like to tell people that I did not choose to be gay, contrary to what most people say. You know, I didn't choose to be gay. It's almost like um, if you had a favorite ice cream, right? You didn't choose to like that ice cream. You actually discovered that you liked that ice cream. And so I discovered that I had a tendency, uh, a sexual um, attraction 
to people of the same sex as well as people of the opposite sex. So that's a whole nother subject, right? But I had a sexual attraction to people of the same sex and I discovered that um, when I was in junior high school. Um, my mother and him found out because my brother and I had a fight, he knew, and to get back at me, he told my mom. He told on you. <laughs> So he told my mom and, and and in the conversation, my mom and I had the conversation and actually it was that conversation with my mom that I even, I didn't know if there was any scriptures in the Bible about this. And so when I had the conversation with my mom, she of course thought that I did know because, you know, I was a studious person. She thought I knew and um, it was just a mess. It was a mess. Um, it hurt her. It hurt her as it is hurting so many mothers and fathers out there. And I want to acknowledge that. I want to acknowledge that, that first of all, this is not something that is your fault. It is not your fault, nor is it anything that you've done. You didn't mother them too much. You well, didn't no, not that's, beat that's, them that's enough. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. This is not something that happened because you did something. And I I, I want to say that, and I'm going to explain that a little bit more later, but I first of all want to free you from that, right? Um, so my mother, uh, watching her go through the discovery, and I told my mom, I said, um, she was going to tell my dad. I got to tell your dad. I said, well, let me tell my dad. Wow. My dad. Um, now, was, he, was he raised, was he a part of that church tradition that you oh, were? Yeah. Okay, okay. Sure. Now, he's, he's been a pastor uh, in the Church of God in Christ for as long as I remember. <laughs> you okay. know, I am Church of God in Christ, okay? I was not joined in. I was born you were, in. You were born in. <laughs> Y'all got a song that say that too, don't you? Yes, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I love the church. So, so I he has been a pastor for a long time, and um, for as long as I I was born. Um, so when I sat down with and talked with him, uh, Bishop, it was the most heart wrenching thing I've ever done. I'm sure, yeah. It was the first time that I saw my father cry. Wow. And even to this day, the impact of that moment still is with me. Wow. But my father said something that was interesting, and he's still living, and I praise God for him. We have a a good relationship. We have agreed to disagree. (laughs) But uh, he said something to me that, that just kind of threw me for a loop. He said, I wish it had been a woman. Wow. And then he he got up and went to bed. And I went to bed. Um, That says a lot. It says a lot about the way we look at, at the hierarchy of sins because fornication was not an issue for him, not as it relates to homosexuality. 
It's, it's interesting that you say that because I had some notes written that uh, that says, um, and I want to find what it, it seems like, and this is me reading my notes. It seems like that if you are a whoremonger, a drunkard, a liar, or any of those other things, you're not as bad of a person as if you were homosexual, lesbian, LGBTQ+. Um, why is there such a big distinction? And I know you're going down a pattern, and maybe this is in your pattern, but since you brought it up oh, and no. I it written down, I just want to know, why is there a distinction between this and those? Oh, man, that's, that's a wonderful question. It is a wonderful question. And I can only give to you my observation. And um, my observation, uh, and I'm not even going to teleport that, my observation is this. There are multi-layers of issues that relate to the homosexual. Multi-layers of issues. So there's the sexual issue, of course the sexual issue of man with man and woman with woman and all of the interpretations that we have of those issues. But then there is also the issue of patriarchy. Okay. The idea that a man is always at the leadership. Dominant. At the head. Okay. That they are always dominant. Okay. Now, what is particularly um, what is particularly egregious to patriarchy and homosexuality is not lesbianism. It is a man who has a position of dominance, giving up that dominance to take the role of what they consider to be, take the role of a woman. And so it is it slaps in the face of male patriarchy that any man would do that. And I know you're right. And I, I'm going to tell you why. If just having a transparent moment, just like I told you over the phone, I got my own issues with this subject. And so I, I want to be very clear that I'm not, you know, having no, uh, you know, uh, whatever. But I remember when I was very young and uh, and my boys were very young, in fact, I think I only had one kid, so this is at least 28 years ago, okay? <laughs> I remember saying uh, to my wife uh, that um, if somebody in my family had to be gay, I wish it was a girl and mm -hmm. not a boy. I would die if my son were gay. I literally yeah. told her that. Yeah. And I was so homophobic that the thought of him being gay was, it was more than I could bear. Right. I, I, I really felt like, because I thought, you know, that, that, that cannot ever be the case. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, and the reason why is I thought is that I couldn't love them if they were. Yeah. And who think as a parent who thinks about not being able to love their kid? Yeah, nobody. And and I I think from my background that's also the thing that I understand about my father, and I allowed my father 
to be him. I did not force him. I didn't force me and and my choice or my my uh, sexual attraction. I did not force any of that on him. I let him process through the way he needed to process through. But I also did not let him stop me from being who I know that I am. Okay. Okay. So I loved him. My father, um, my father is a wonderful man. He has always provided for our family. I look up to him as a pastor. He's given me the foundation in the word. Uh, it, it's just an awesome person and one of the smartest persons I ever know. You know, he is very smart, even even at 80 something years old. Right. Um, but what I understood is that he had a hard time understanding why I would choose to be gay. Right. He didn't have a problem loving me, but he did have a problem trying to figure out how he could love me in the face of everything that he had to face. Because I love the church of God in Christ, but people can be vicious. They weren't having that in the church. Oh, of God. No, no, they weren't having it. They won't have it. And for you to be a pastor and at one point a superintendent and have a son who is openly gay and beginning a church for openly gay people. Now, something is wrong with you. That's the the interpretation. And my father and, and my mother had to go through that ridicule because they had a son who had a calling, a prophetic calling to deal with people that the church would ostracize. Wow. And so I have a whole lot of respect for them. And I, I respect the fact that we have chosen to agree to disagree and still maintain relationship. That is big. Sure. Sure. So, yeah. So. With with all of that, I, I understand and I, I, I really try to help people who are gay and lesbian understand that just because, I mean, first of all, let's let's be real with each other, all right? And I'm talking to y'all that are watching here and know this to be true, right? It took you years to get okay with who you are. Then you decide that you want to tell everybody and expect them to love you in a few minutes. Wow. You expect them to accept you for who you are just with, because you told them, no, baby, it doesn't work that way. It didn't work for you and it's not going to work for them. So you've got to be strong enough in yourself to know who you are, to know who you are and love people at the level where they can, they can accept you and receive you. Because I promise you, I promise you, if you're true before God and you are are really sincere about your relationship with God, God will give your people back to you. My mother on her dying bed gave me the best gift she ever could have given me. She allowed me, her son, to take care of her in her most vulnerable moment. Wow. Now, God, 
promise me. I, I remember being in one of the fellowship uh, meetings and uh, Mother Langston, uh, who is Bishop Yvette Flunder's mother, was praying for us and praying over us. And she said, she said, God's going to give your parents back to you. And I started crying and I told God, God, I did not ask for that. And I said, I don't even, don't tease me. Don't tease me. I'd gotten used to not having my parents. I'd gotten used to being a prophet on my own merits without having them. And here you come with a promise to give me back my parents. Don't you tease me. Wow. And God gave them back to me in ways that I did not understand. But God gave both my parents back to me. And I praise God for it. I praise God for it. And they don't agree. Mama's gone to heaven and still was praying for me. <laughs> On her deathbed, she was praying for my deliverance. <laughs> but God gave them back to me. And I'm so grateful to God for that. Some things they'll understand better by and by. <laughs> so when you, so after you, um, after you told your parents and you had this, understanding yourself, um, did you decide then, okay, I, I'm going to be heterosexual. I'm not going to be gay. I'm going to marry me a woman. I'm going to have me a wife and some kids and a house with a picket fence. And I'm just going to suppress all of that stuff. Was that like a decision that you made? Yes. Okay, talk about yes, it. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Because, you know, if you understand my background, you understand my, the history. I, 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 I am a person still today, uh, a person that believes that I should live out what I believe. And back then, when, especially when I was living in Austin, I certainly believed that homosexuality was a sin. And I preached that homosexuality was a sin. But what I understood, what I understood even then, is that my sexual orientation was not a choice, but the way I lived was. Oh, now, see, you finna get into some oh, ground. Yeah. There are a lot of folks out here dealing with that same thing. Exactly. Exactly. And I understand. I understand. So I don't have any problems because, number one, Paul teaches us that whatever we do that's not in faith is a sin. And so I'm going to be very dangerous. I'm going to be very dangerous. Okay. If you believe that you are, that it is a sin to be homosexual and you are acting out on your homosexuality, brothers and sisters, by the definition of what Paul said, you are sinning. Wow. Not that homosexuality is a sin, but you're not even true to your own beliefs. Wow. And that's how I lived my life. And so when I was when I was living there, I, I chose to marry because I loved my wife. Sure. I didn't choose to marry to hide anything. In fact, I wasn't trying to hide anything. Just wasn't telling everybody, right? <laughs> but, okay. but there was a reason. To hide because you know, you know. All right. Sure, sure. So there was, but but I loved my wife, and 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 I understand 
I understand the spectrum of sexuality. And for me, I'm somewhere in the middle. So I could, I could really love my wife both intimately and emotionally. Yeah, I love my wife, right? And she knew going into the relationship that I was gay. Whoa, is that right? Yes, she knew going in because she was part of my deliverance walk. (laughs) Wow. We we chose to marry and um, it was rough. It was rough because the enemy played on her a lot with thinking that I was doing something on the side, right? Okay, okay. And it was not true, but the enemy played with her a lot, and it it really made me see how difficult it is for women who are in relationship with men who are gay or even who they think are gay, because that is an open ground for the enemy to play with their self-esteem, an open ground for the enemy to play with their security. You know, it's a lot that goes on in those relationships like that. So I do have a sensitivity to it. That's why uh, and somebody's got to be really, really strong. A female has to be really, really strong if I were to ever marry them, strong in who they are, if I were to ever marry them, because I don't want to put another woman through that. I don't. I don't want to put another woman through that. And, And she knew but we also knew that I had a choice in the way I lived. And I believed that homosexuality was wrong. So I made the choice not to act on the homosexual tendencies that were there. Wow. And you can make that choice. What's wrong with you? You're not a cat. You're not a dog. You make choices about what you do. You make choices about what you do, and you can choose to do something different. So wherever you are on this spectrum, you've got the power. If you're controlled by your sexual proclivities, then that's what you need deliverance from. So so somebody who's listening who says, "I'm, I'm gay, but I think it's a sin to be gay, are they then destined to be to live in sin, if you will? They're not destined to live in sin. Thank God for that. But what I will suggest to them is that you need to do the work. You need to do the work. You need to do the theological work. And I want to talk about that, Bishop Bright. I want to talk about my journey theologically. I do. I want to. You you really need to, the, to do the theological work. But the my 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 angst about ministry and theological discussions around this area is that there is so much that is written about this, both on both ends of the perspective. There is so much that is written and so much that we can really glean from. But number one, we're either afraid to hear a difference of opinions or we just downright stubborn, right? Mm-hmm. You need to do the work. Your life, the Bishop, the only reason why I did the work is because my life depended on it. 
And, and that's interesting because one of the comments says, but if they choose not to act on it, they will probably be miserable and that is no way to live. You are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Especially if you are on the farther end of the gay spectrum and you don't have any feelings and emotional or any tractions for a female. Yes, absolutely. That will be a miserable life. And I know people, I know people who are living that life and who are married. Wow. And it because of their misery, their relationship, that has to spill over into that relationship. So I, I, I don't wish that on anybody. I really wish that people would do the work, the theological work. I didn't have any problem knowing that God loved me. That was not my issue. Some people have that issue. I didn't have that issue. I why, had why not though? Why, why did you not think because of your tradition that you were raised in, because of the teachings that you even yourself espoused, how could you not think God can't possibly love me? Especially when you when you have to teach that you're going to hell when you have to teach it's it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. When you have to teach that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed and you have to, how could you not think God didn't love you? Look, I tell people all the time, Bishop, I tell them all the time, if I didn't have a personal relationship with God, I would be out of the church a long time ago. Wow. It was my personal relationship with God that made me understand that no matter what I was, that God's unconditional love was still towards me. Wow. It was my relationship with God. I would talk with God. God will, oh man, if I could tell you some of the experiences that me and God have had, but I knew that God was there. Even from a child, I knew that God was there. And for God to be so present in my life, and not love me was a, a conundrum. It was it was not even thinkable. It was untenable. So I I didn't have any problems knowing that God loved me, but I understood just just like my father loved me when I would do wrong. I know that God was not happy when I did wrong. It didn't mean He didn't love me. So so was the balance in your understanding was not let's remove this. Think about trying to understand whether or not God loved you. But was the balance trying to understand whether or not you were, in fact, sinning by being gay? Exactly. That was the point, because I believed I believed strongly in the Bible. I believe strongly in what I what I understood about the Bible. Right. And so when I read those same scriptures that my mother told me when I when I was exposed to her, she went down the whole list of scriptures. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when she told me that, you know, I really had to deal with those scriptures. And for me, it was the dealing with the text. It was the dealing with the scriptures that was my issue. Okay. Okay, and so I had to I had to understand what the scriptures were saying, not whether God loved me, but what was the scriptures saying about what was pleasing to God, because all of my life I've always wanted to please God. 
Now, let me tell you about my, my, my journey. Okay. Because all during this time where I'm wrestling, and I, it was a wrestle. It was a wrestle to make the right decisions when my body was speaking something else. Now, I'm not, I'm not taking that away from it. It is a wrestle, but it's still a choice, okay? It's okay. a choice for you to act out on it, right? So it was a wrestle in, in, in my being, but all during those times, Bishop, God didn't say anything to me about homosexuality. Wow. Everybody else did, but God didn't say anything to me about homosexuality. When God started dealing with me about homosexuality, it was right after God started dealing with me about the work of Jesus Christ and what Christ came to do. All right. When I started looking at Hebrews and Gal Galatians and all of the other things that were talking about Jesus being the sacrificial lamb and Jesus, the blood of Jesus never fading away and how even the sacrificial lamb covered the sins, covered the sins of Israel. They didn't have to repent for those sins anymore. But the blood faded away, and so they'd have to come back after that. Now, if Christ's blood paid for sin and the blood never fades away, then I don't have a sin issue because that's been dealt with. All right. Now, now, now you're getting into now you're getting into the business. Exactly. And God dealt with me about that before he said anything to me about homosexuality. <laughs> wow. And so when I start understanding that. So, but, 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 go ahead. So, so you're saying that God's um, dealing with you was about perspective. Exactly. Exactly. And understanding what salvation is. Wow. I think we have... In my opinion, my humble opinion, I think we have a misunderstanding of salvation. We believe that salvation is about what we do when salvation really is about what God did or Christ did. I agree with that 100%. 100%. And if it's what Christ did, I can't undo what Christ did by any action. Wow. It doesn't take the responsibility from me to live pleasing to God, but I don't live pleasing to God because I'm afraid I'm going to hell. Wow. I live pleasing to God because I love God. How about that? Wow. How about Somebody that? Somebody type that in the comments. I live pleasing to God because I love him. Somebody ought to type that in the comments. That's a, that's a, good, that's a good one. Somebody type that in the comments. <laughs> So when God began to really deal with me about salvation and when that journey had come to a complete or, or maturity, then God said, okay, now let me deal with you about this homosexuality thing. All right. All right. I, I had a kind of a Paul experience. I was starting an ex-gay ministry on AOL for brothers who wanted, who knew that they were gay, but wanted to live with integrity to their belief. And I agree with, because I knew that you had to have 
some fellowship to actually get that done, right? So you couldn't do it by yourself. And Exodus Ministries even tells you that you can't not do it by yourself. You need the support of other people, right? And so while I was doing that, one of my brothers gave me this article. It was called Dispelling the Myth, written by um, uh, one of the one of my my spiritual fathers. Now uh, Bob Ellis wrote an article called Dispelling the Myth, and it actually dealt with the scriptures that are related to homosexuality or are believed to be related to homosexuality. Brother, I started reading that thing and I started listening and looking at it from the standpoint of how was I taught to be a preacher? How was I taught to do the hermeneutic work in scripture? How was I taught to develop theology? And I'm reading this thing and all the tools that I was taught to use, they were using. Wow. They were using and using correctly. Now, Bishop, I have to tell you what happened. All right. Now I'm ready. Come on. I got scared, brother. I got (laughs) scared because I'm like, this can't be true. This is the devil. (laughs) This is the devil. And the devil trying to get me off track. All right. So I put the article down. And I went on a fast. See, we taught in in the Church of God in Christ, you got to fast so you get closer to God. I went on a fast, and I really began to consecrate before God and said, God, God, first of all, whatever it is in me that is attracted to this article, I want you, first of all, to to take care of that because I want to hear truth. I want to hear truth. And so I asked God to do that. And I think I, I, I went on a fast. It was probably about three months of consecration, three months of consecration. And then when I picked up the article again, the Holy Spirit really began to deal with me. Now, I didn't agree with everything in the article, but the Holy Spirit began to really reveal to me the truth of what was being said in that article And Bishop, it was based on what I understood now about the work of Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, so that began my theological journey, but I had a choice to make. I had a choice to make. And much like the choice that many people are making right now, um, I had a choice to make. And the Lord said to me, Alex, whatever choice you choose, I'm going to bless you. Have you ever had God to do that to you, man? Wow. God whatever. Said, whatever, whatever you choose. You were free to make the decision. You make the decision, right? My wow. choice was I could keep what I believed a secret and do like a lot of other preachers that I know, hide my sexuality, live a way that that allowed me to minister in most churches or I can live with integrity. That's the term, right? Down low. Exactly. The down low. Exactly. Or I can live with integrity toward my belief. Of course, I couldn't, once I knew what I knew, I couldn't go back. I couldn't say, okay, I, 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 I got, I'm going to espouse this thing because this is this is the church line. This is the church doctrine on this. No, I didn't believe it anymore. But I know too many preachers out there 
And if you're on here, I want you to hear me. I know too many preachers out there. You don't believe what you're preaching, yet you're still preaching it because you're going to give up too much if you preach what you believe. Let wow. me tell you, you're giving up too much now. Wow. So anyway, I decided to, to, to take whatever the, the, the chances were. We began to start a ministry. I uh, founded a church called Church of the Full Covenant. Um, we founded a church in, in, in uh, Chicago, a church in Houston, and my home church in Dallas, which was the, the mother church. Um, and then the Lord pulled me in. Um, somebody introduced me to the fellowship. It was called Fellowship 2000. The Lord was doing things all over the country, all over the country. God, things were starting up independent of each other. And then God brought us all together and in the fellowship. And then uh, Bishop uh, Yvette Flunder leads the fellowship and has been the founder of the fellowship. And God brought us all. We came from everywhere. God brought us all together there. And that's where I, why I've been in the fellowship, because I believe that it was the place where God was speaking to the movement that was taking place. So when you look at the scriptures and you and, and you hear, OK, well, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sexual sins. Mm -hmm. How do you respond to that? So it, it's this that whole story is so interesting to me for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, Ezekiel identifies the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah when he talks about your, your daughters did. They had done what this, the, the, they did worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he said, this is the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were haughty. They were uh all these things. And then there's this catch all phrase, this catch all phrase and said, and they did other abominable things. Right. Okay. We focus on the catch all phrase and do not even give attention to all of the other stuff that was said as the sin, as the sin. And we imply because that's what we believe, but we imply that homosexuality is included in those other abominable things. But let's go back to the text. Let's go back to the text. Now, when we read the story, story of Sodom and Gomorrah, we see conflicting interpretations by our versions. We see that all the men in Sodom and Gomorrah come together at the house of the angels. The word that's translated men can be translated humanity or it can be translated as males, all right? We assume that everybody in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah was gay. Hmm. But what we don't realize is that even back in that time, and this goes back to my other point of patriarchy, in back in that time, it was a war tactic to take a man and have sex with the man, forcing him 
to play the role of a woman in order to get control over him. Wow. So when we're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, remember that Sodom, and, Sodom had already been taken over in the other previous chapters. Abraham had to go and rescue Sodom and Gomorrah. So yes. they were on heightened alert. And instead of somebody coming in who they didn't know, they wanted to make sure that they had control over everybody that came in. And I, I had to hate to say it, but Lot was also a stranger in that land. And I am so sure I'm reading into the text, Bishop, what is not there. But I am so sure that Lot had to endure the same thing. Okay, what about when they said, when they say, listen, man should not lay down with man as with a woman. Okay. Interesting text. Very interesting text. Man should not lay down. The, the actual interpretation, the literal interpretation of that text is that man should not lie on a man on a woman bed, right? Now, there is that is a phrase and an idiom that has lost meaning. It's like if somebody 20 years from now knows nothing about basketball or baseball and somebody comes up and tells them, okay, that person was out in left field, right? They have no clue about what that really means. They don't have any idea what what is what is left field. I see a field out there. You mean to the left? Like no, that has a particular reference. We don't know what that reference is. We do assume. We do assume that it means have sex with. But that assumption is a leap. Mm. I tell people all the time, our brains are wonderful. And whenever we don't have something to fill the lines in, we're going to fill it in. <laughs> we're going to fill it in with something. Right? And yes, those of you Bible scholars out there and theologians out there, yes, I have an argument with Augustine. Yes, I have an argument with all those other people that have imposed that understanding upon the text. And I have a right to, because I have to determine what I believe. Every one of us has to determine what you believe, and you have to do it in relationship with the Holy Spirit, because Augustine doesn't lead us into all truth. The Holy Spirit does. Wow. So you joined, you, you started this church, y'all have these branches. You joined uh, the fellowship. And what has that fellowship done for you when you realized that there were other people who had similar backgrounds, uh, who had been through what you have been through, but still love God and wanted to worship God and felt like it was okay to love God and worship God. What did that kind of connection, what did that mean to, for you? So I'm glad you asked that because I was thinking about this not too long ago. I was thinking about it when, when, when I started Church of the Full Covenant, I started it because I didn't think there was anything else. And I knew that there were people out who were like me 
who were in a position where they were being challenged to either give up what they believe or are really to live out their love for God and their their reconciliation with who they were right, in terms of their sexuality. So I had a lot of weight on my shoulder, Bishop Wright. When I left Austin right, and, and moved back to Dallas, there was a lot of weight on my shoulder because I was being called to, to create this environment for the world of people who had to do that. And when I understood that there was other things happening and, and that God was, was that God has, I, I felt like Elijah. God, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I'm the only one left. And then God says, Elijah, shut up, boy. I got, I got a whole lot more people. They ain't even bowed down to Baal. I got a whole lot more people. I just need to introduce you to them. The first three years I was at the conference, I cried like a baby. One of the reasons why is because the weight was lifted off of me. Mm. The weight was lifted off of me, both in terms of my own call, both in, in terms of the loneliness that I felt having to pioneer something that the church would definitely ostracize, or at least I believed. And be opposed to. Exactly, exactly. And, and so the weight was lifted off of me. When people tell you there is strength in numbers, it is so true. It is so true. When God brought us all together, God created an environment for us to grow, for us to understand, for us to learn, for us to challenge our own theologies. And not everybody came believing the same thing. And we still don't believe all the same thing. But we had a place that we could challenge our theologies and grow. And so, that was a blessing. Because there are a couple of things. One, a, a comment came and it says, there is only one truth, though. How can each person go by what they believe if it gives one the liberty to believe differently? So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that this way. And please don't get offended, but I need you to hear what I'm saying. If there is one truth, who says that you got it? Interesting. Now, we give our, our humanness so much credit that we believe that what we understand or what everybody has to believe has to match up with what we have because we have received this from some kind of divine revelation, right? But you have to understand that the only way you can perceive the spirit of God is through your senses. You have The only way you can take in information is by your senses. You've got to hear it. You've got to see it. You've got to smell it. You've got to touch it. You've got to taste it. Even the spirit of God. So if your senses can be wrong, why is it that you're so arrogant to think that you cannot be wrong? Wow. That's arrogance. And God resisted the proud. It gives grace to the humble, grace to the people that understand that they could have it wrong. And Bishop, I'm telling you right now, that's the thing that, it, that gives me the most strength, that I could be wrong. 
And, and, and you know what? I'm glad you said that because now I have to ask you this question. What if you decide you are? What if you come to the understanding three weeks from today and everything over the last however long it's been for you, this journey for you, and you realize, wow, <laughs> it's kind of screwed the pooch on that one, you know? What, what happens? What happens to everything that has been built on top of the foundation that you've laid for yourself in terms of your belief? See, that, that, that is a very important question. And, and I'll tell you why. I'm going to answer your question and then I'm going to tell you why that's so important of a question. So my, my answer is this, and I tell my church this all the time. If God shows me that I am wrong, then I will repent for everything that I've done and everything that I've said, and I'm going to follow the truth. My relationship is with God and with truth. And with I can only go by what I understand to be truth. And that's the thing. You can only go by what you understand to be truth. And God is so wise and God is so loving that sometimes God lets us go on in our misunderstanding until God can get our attention and God does not hold it against us because God created us, created us and understands that that's the only way. That's the, that's why faith is so important because the only way you can understand truth is by faith. And so, yeah, you may have faith in one thing that's different than mine and baby, the bottom line is that God is going to be the judge. You can't judge. I can't judge. God is going to be the judge. But Bishop, if I ever come to the point where I believe that I'm wrong in what I'm saying, it happened to me before. And what I did was I followed truth. And that's what will happen. Everybody knows it. Everybody, because I, I make no bones about it. But here's the thing, for me, I'm looking at my parents and looking at an older generation that's looking at the church now and saying, what if, what if they're right? What if they're right? Do you know how hard it is for you to build 80 years of your life around something and then you start questioning that something? Wow. That's why pastorally, I'm not trying to make anybody believe what I believe. That's not my job. My job is to live out and to teach what I believe. And those that hear the voice of God in what I'm saying, they will come to understand, right? They will be, but I'm not trying to convince anybody. My days of convincing people are over. <laughs> I'm not trying to convince anybody. Right. But what I am trying to do is I'm trying to point people to God because it is the spirit of God that's going to testify the spirit of God and God alone. In fact, Jesus said, who are you to judge another man's servant? It is before God that he lives and he dies. I'm God's servant, baby. I'm not yours. And so when everything that I do is subject to the voice and will of God as I understand it. 
Okay, so I, I, I like what, uh, I, I have to tell you, I like what you said. I think it's an important distinction that, and, and I want to say this because I want people who are on here to understand. I'm not, and I'm glad you mentioned it for you, this conversation was not about trying to convince folks one way or the other. Right, right. I, I don't, I, that, that's not the game I'm, I'm trying to play. I'm not even, I'm not even in that. I won't. Uh, I know that there are a lot of people uh, who are uh, that I know who are hurting and suffering because they are gay, and they just. And so my thought was, they shouldn't feel like that God hates them. Right. Right. There. Right. They need to be able to exhale. Yeah. They need to be able to breathe. And know that God does not hate me. Right, right. And I don't. There's some kind of feedback coming back. Oh, oh I'm sorry, <laughs> Pastor. My, my spouse is in there praying up a storm. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, I'm trying to insulate it as much as possible. <laughs> no, okay. And 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 so this. Uh, and so I'm glad that you said that uh, that you're not trying to convince anybody. You're talking about what's right for you. And, and I think that that's uh, really good. I'm trying to tell you. Um, and so I know we're almost out of time here, um, but I did I did ask you if you wouldn't mind coming back because I would like some real questions and answer uh, going back and forth. Uh, and so that's what we're going to be doing next week. We're going to have some kind of question and answer, and we're going to really talk about the scriptures uh, 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 more in depth and, and kind of deal with it. But the takeaway, the takeaway, listen, the takeaway has to be that you need to come to a decision about what your life is and how you're going to choose to live it. And that has to be reconciled with what you know and understand to be the truth of God. And, exactly. And that can't be. And so we got uh, we uh, got people saying, please come back. He's already agreed to come back. God hates the sin, uh, not the sinner. He wants all to come to him and be saved. Uh, pray my. Absolutely. Pray I agree with you. Great topic. You just set someone free. Yes, please come back. It was a beautiful uh, convo. Thank you both. And so I want, I want, I want um, you to know, Bishop. I I appreciate that you were willing to come and tell tell your truth, your side of the story, what you want. Because I'm gonna tell you something. There's a lot of folks out here who will listen to this, and because they disagree, they're going, they're going, uh, they're going to be telling their friends and and folks. I can't believe they was on here doing this, talking about all of that. And a lot of them are struggling with this issue and won't come clean about it. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they're having these issues. And this is not about even exposing nobody because what you do is what you do. And that's for everybody who's listening. What you do is what you do. This was not about that. It was about a conversation because I have people I love and I want them to know that God does not hate them. People can. People will but that God does not hate them. Let me say that one more time. People, institutions, organizations, people will hate you, 
but God doesn't hate you. And that's what the purpose of this conversation was about, is that some people need to exhale. They need to breathe. They need to Whitney Houston. They, they've been waiting to exhale. They need to exhale. They need to breathe. And that's what I wanted to bring. And I'm going to tell you, obviously, this, again, not about changing minds and ideas, but I do believe that iron sharpens iron. You said you believe that iron sharpens iron. And so next week, we're going to do some iron sharpening. OK, so I want to thank you again, Bishop, for coming out. Thank you, everybody. We will see you next Tuesday. Take care. All right. I appreciate you, my brother. We're, we're looking forward to it. Yes, sir. Bye bye. Goodbye. Bye -bye. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, website. All of y'all. Bye. <laughs>